journey, our journey that God has had us on, the challenges along the way, the point at which we completely surrendered our lives to Christ, and the lessons that we continue to learn. My story is one of God's patience, His protection, His grace. Um, I was born into a Bible-believing, God-fearing home in which my father uh, was and still is an evangelical pastor. I know what you're thinking, you're sitting back there, well, this is a predictable story then, right? The foundation was laid early, commitment was made early in life, he was intentionally discipled by his parents, he was involved in leadership in a youth group, he was salt in a post-secondary, uh, in post-secondary education, and I'll tell you that it didn't happen exactly like that, actually didn't happen like that at all. And uh, it's funny that Pastor Adam mentioned uh, a bank robbery because as far back as I can remember, that is where my faith journey began. And I know what you're thinking, and you're wrong again, okay? I was not involved in the bank robbery or robbing the bank. I was in a bank that was robbed when I was uh, preschool age, and I still remember it very vividly. And that kind of set me on a trajectory of of at least asking questions. Um, So that experience led me to questioning life after death, And I'm sure my parents started contemplating a lot of questions like, at what age is a child then accountable before God? And I don't remember the extent of my understanding of my sinful state at that point and my need for a savior, or whether I was even able to fully comprehend and understand the immense sacrifice that he made for me, or even the seriousness of the commitment I was making. But as a result of my curiosity and my continued uh, interest Uh, in salvation, Um, and I'm sure my parents' fear and a number of leading questions, I made a commitment at that point. Um, Don't misunderstand me. I believe that a child can have a genuine understanding of salvation and make a commitment at a very young age, but I just know that based on the fruit or lack thereof that followed the next 10 or 12 years in my life, I didn't make a commitment at that point. Um, As it says in Luke 6, for no, no good tree bears bad fruit nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The first part of my story uh, was evidence of God's patience. Life as a child in a pastor's home was very predictable. Church twice on Sunday, Wednesday evening, uh, prayer meetings, funerals, weddings, anniversaries, celebrations for... uh, tons of people I didn't even know. And, uh, you know, church on Sundays, the same 20 uh, stories you hear um, Sunday after Sunday, year after year in Sunday school. Some would consider this to be foundational to their faith. Um, To me at that point, it was simply entertaining stories with good morals and solid teaching. It wasn't my need for a savior. Um, It wasn't God's redemptive plan from Genesis through to Revelation. And so as a pastor's kid, you can go one of two ways. You can grow in knowledge and understanding of God, developing spiritual disciplines, serving, witnessing to others, or you can rebel. Unfortunately, I was the latter. Carving, uh, carving words into pews at the church, completely unwelcoming to visitors who walk through the door, threatening to fire volunteer Sunday school teachers. So... And as I got older, the incidents changed, but my heart condition really didn't. Um, I I began to resent the church for a number of different reasons. One, because it took time away from me. It prevented me from being involved in competitive sports. 
It prevented me from having sleepovers on Saturday nights, hanging out with friends. But a bigger reason why I resented the church was it took my father away. Meetings, counseling, speaking engagements, Bible study, the church was his priority and often at our expense. As I looked around at my peer group at that age, I really didn't see much difference between my church friends, my church peers, and my school friends. And that really hindered my desire to want to change. In terms of their conduct, what they valued, how they spent their time, the role of God in each of their lives, there was no marked difference. So there I was, a loving, God-honoring family and a supportive church just waiting and wanting to disciple me. Yet I was so caught up in my egocentric life, doing all the things in my own strength and keeping God at arm's length. First Timothy 1 says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. No doubt I was a recipient of his perfect patience. So unlike Blair, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did grow up in a very loving home with parents who really cared about me, siblings that I, I mostly got along with. Um, life was good. It was busy and it was full and we got involved in a lot of things and hockey and swimming and all kinds of different things that we were involved in and we didn't really want for anything. My dad was the kind of guy that was the self-made businessman. You know, he started with nothing and worked really hard and, you know, was, was diligent and made something of himself. And he kind of got to the point where he didn't really need anyone or anything. And he raised us very much to think the same way. When I was about 10 years old, there was a girl that lived down the street from me that had a banana seat bike and long flowing golden pigtails. And she had a sister. And I wanted that. I wanted a sister and I wanted the banana seat bike and I wanted all the things. And I, I just had to get to know this girl. And so one day, eventually my dreams and my wishes came true and I met the girl down the street. We became fast friends. We were about the same age, and eventually she invited her to church, or she invited me to come to church with her. Now, since I'd grown up in this home that was a very self-made, work hard and achieve and you'll get what you want kind of home, we'd never been to church before. And so we didn't need church. We didn't need God. That's what I grew up in that environment. So as I said, I'd never been to church before. I didn't really know anything about it other than what I saw in movies or, you know, what I heard my dad complaining about that he was forced to go when he was young and it was all hypocritical. So I went with her and went to her Sunday school class and went to her youth group and it was actually really fun. So I kept going with her periodically through the years and enjoyed going, but never really made a connection with God in my time there. I just really went because, well, it was fun and there was cute boys. A number of years later, in high school, she was invited to something that was called Youth for Christ or Campus Life. She didn't want to go without a friend, and so she invited me. And it was in yet another place that was really fun and had cute boys. And I think they might have talked about God, too. So a few months later, my friend had just come home from spending her summer at camp, and she wanted to talk with me. 
So we spent some time chatting and listening to New Kids on the Block tapes and um, talking about which one of them we were going to marry. And then the conversation got a little bit more serious. My friend asked me a question. She asked me, do you believe in God? And I said, sure I do. And then she asked me, do you believe in heaven? And I said, well, maybe, I guess. And then she went on to ask me, one day when you die, where do you think that you'll go? And I said, well, I guess if there's a heaven, maybe I'll go there. And just like Pastor Adam said, I had the mindset of, you know, I haven't killed anybody and I haven't stolen anything and I'm a pretty good person, so of course I'll go to heaven. So she went on to explain to me that this God, who is the creator of this universe, and that he was the creator of me, wanted to understand, or wanted me to understand that he was real. This God that created me wanted me to know him personally. And that this God wanted to know me personally. But there was a problem. This God was perfect and without sin. And here lays the problem. She asked me if I knew what sin meant. And I said, well, bad stuff like stealing or killing people, I said. And then she explained to me that it was so much more than that. That sin was breaking God's laws, but it was not only breaking God's laws, it was breaking the heart of God's laws. She said, yes, killing somebody is wrong, but hating somebody is the heart behind killing someone. And so even that is wrong. Well, I thought my friend was getting a little too spiritual for me. So I made up some excuse and I left and went home. And although I left her home that day, the conversation that we had never really left my brain, these questions I had never really thought about had been, or had been exposed to before in my life, just didn't leave me. So a few weeks after that, Youth for Christ started up again, and she and I started going faithfully, although for different reasons, and I'm sure you can guess mine. Now, the youth leaders had kind of picked her out and wanted to spend some time training her about how to share her faith with others. And they had a student leadership retreat planned for the end of September. My friend was extremely shy, and I was kind of like her safety net. So she asked if I could come. The leaders tried to make it really clear to her that this was a retreat to train Christian students to share their faith with their friends. And I was not a Christian. Nor did I even really believe God, that God was really real. But she was pretty persistent, and she begged them, and they said, okay, if she wants to come. And so, being the kind of kid that I was, um, I thought a weekend away with a bunch of teenagers and cute boys would be fun. So, I went. So, we're at this student leadership retreat, and these Christian kids are learning to share their faith, and my friend was learning to share her faith with me. She explained more about this perfect and holy God 
and how he wanted a relationship with me. But my sin stood in the way. My sin had a cost. It had to be paid for. And since I couldn't pay it, God sent his son Jesus to the cross to pay the ultimate price and the ultimate penalty for me so that I could be right with God and that my debt could be erased. That weekend, God truly started something in my heart and awoke something in me that wanted to know more about this and wanted to know more about him. And as good as my life had been, and as loving as my family was, when I had time to think about some of those deeper questions that she had asked me about death, about life, about where I was going, and why I would go there, it left a longing in my soul. It left me with more questions than I had answers to. That weekend, that youth retreat, God made himself real to me. I knew God was real. But my teenage years were characterized by God's protection. I was a good student, involved in athletics, but at times succumbed to the temptations of our culture. Alcohol, dishonesty, slander, self-serving relationships. To the world, I professed to be a believer, going through some of the motions, but my heart was hardened. Yet God chose to protect me and spare me from many of the natural or expected consequences of my sin. Then, as a reeling, insecure, 17-year-old searching for meaning and purpose, God got my attention. Through a few conversations um, and a last-minute application, God orchestrated and arranged for me to work at a Christian camp for the summer. I would be leading Bible studies, sharing my faith, and mentoring guys for the summer. Rather ironic, I thought, but I wasn't about to question their screening process, which did have some holes in it. <laughs> Little did I know that I would be the one that others would actually be sharing their faith, faith with, challenging me, and that it would be them that would be ultimately mentoring me. God had a plan. I began to build friendships at camp with solid, God-fearing guys who lived their faith out. They were different. They were passionate, they were committed, and they lived with a purpose. It was attractive, but not enough to finally convince me to give my life to Christ, the one at this point I was pretending to worship and pretending to serve. It was that summer that the Holy Spirit began to convict me of my hypocrisy and my sin, the effect it had on those around me, but more importantly, the way that it grieved his heart. I was familiar with God's offer of salvation. I had heard it hundreds of times growing up in the church. But until I realized the gravity of my own sin before a perfect God, I had no use for a savior. I'd been living a lie, professing to believe, but never truly giving the controls of my life over to God. I spent most of that summer wrestling with God, reading through the scripture, trying to understand who he was, who he is, and what he required of me. Through a variety of means, God continued to press in on me, revealing my sin, showing me the immensity of the sacrifice that he made, through his son, Jesus Christ, and the resulting offer of forgiveness. For me, there was only one possible response, repentance and complete surrender of my life to my creator and savior who had patiently waited for me, protected me, and had a plan for my life. Speaking of God having a plan for our lives, his plans for me were just beginning to unfold. 
When we came home from the retreat, I told my parents that I wanted to learn more about God and maybe become a Christian. I was afraid of what they might say since I came from this family of pretty ne with a pretty negative view of church. And as you see, um, I've struggled my whole life with being a bit of a people pleaser. And this included people pleasing my parents. But instead of them being close to the idea, I ended up getting a, an openness that I never really expected. My parents both gave me their blessing to pursue you know, learning about this Christian faith as long as I didn't push it on them. So I started meeting with my friend and one of the leaders from the Youth for Christ, and they started spending some time teaching me more about God and discipling me. This longing in my soul grew, and it grew more and more as I learned more about God and his incredible grace, that he should want me to know him and that he should want to know me. It was a bit beyond me, and it still is a little bit beyond me today. As I understood more about the magnitude of my sin, the things in my life that not only broke God's laws, but they broke his heart. <clears throat> Coming to an understanding to the cost that comes with that sin, eternal separation from God, it terrified me and it broke my heart. Truly imagining life after death and what it might be like. Asking the deeper questions of why am I here? What purpose is all of this for? What is my purpose? And as I learned more and more and understood what I was reading in the Bible, God taught me more about this inc incredible gift of grace. This God was real, and he was drawing me. And I responded by receiving the forgiveness that he offered. My paths in life were not perfect and sinless after he called me to be his. There have been many bumps and struggles along the way since then, including a time of pushing away from God, giving into the cultural pressures of university life, and almost marrying someone who did not share my faith or beliefs. Also, like I said earlier, I struggle with being a people pleaser. And it's something that, it's constantly been a struggle for me, this need to prove myself to people. But even today, God is showing me how to rely on him more and that I don't need to worry about what anyone else thinks of me. I don't even need to worry about what God thinks of me. I don't need his approval because I already have it. I have it because of what Jesus did on the cross. I've learned that having a faith in God is not about a checklist of things I need to do to earn favor with him. Confession, check. Communion, check. Reading my Bible daily, check. Making meals for people in need, check. It's not like that at all. I'm still learning that it's about resting in what he's already done and that he's taken care of it all already. It's about his grace, his forgiveness of my sins, bringing me into a relationship with this real God who cares for me so deeply 
that he sent his son to die to pay for my sins. Grace, I totally don't deserve it. None of us do, but he freely gives it and he's ready to give it to you. And because of that, because of that grace, I am and forever will be his. Grace also characterized the next phase of my life. I slowly learned to live as a Christ follower, developed some spiritual disciplines, studied, not just read the word of God, believed in the power of prayer, and had the courage to share my faith. It was a battle learning who I was in Christ, still giving into the flesh at times, but experiencing his immeasurable grace. As we looked at earlier, Ephesians 2 clearly says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My university time, university filled with self-made people and intellectual ideologies, tested my faith, but in the long run worked only to solidify and strengthen my convictions and confirm the power and the sovereignty of God. Eventually, he brought me Carolyn, the perfect partner for me. We had our challenges early in marriage as I struggled to spiritually lead my wife, who had been brought up and raised to depend solely on self. We wrestled through different financial priorities, and now the blessing of children has brought many humbling learning opportunities. But God is faithful and continues to change and shape us. I enjoy looking back and seeing all the struggles and the trials that God has brought me through, the lessons he has taught me, the conviction that he has changed in my heart over time, the gifts he's developed in me, and the way that he has used and continues to use me. I'd love to share the details of those struggles and lessons over the last 20 years, but time doesn't allow tonight. So that's our journey, but that's not our story. Rather, it's God's story revealed through our lives. God's power displayed, his character revealed, his promises fulfilled, and his forgiveness poured out. At Christmas, it's easy for us to fall into the trap of seeing the birth of Christ as simply a story, when in reality it's so much more than that. It's God's plan set in motion. We carefully arrange our nativity scenes, or we walk past nativity sets, and we think Mary is this serene, joy-filled, perfect, in every way virgin. We forget that she was real. She felt pain. She expressed doubts and questions. She worried. She struggled, as each of us would have. She was far from perfect, but used by God in a very real way. We look at Joseph, and we see strength, courage, an unshakable faith, but he too was real. Scared, confused, feeling the pressure of the culture around him. No different than you or I, but also used by God in a very real way. As Taylor comes up to sing this song, I want you to reflect on how God used ordinary people for his purposes 2,000 years ago. And as you have heard through our testimonies, still uses ordinary people today. However, even that is not the crux of what we remember and celebrate at this Christmas season. For the real celebration at Christmas lie in that manger and in the hope that only he brings.
tiny cheek, a face mankind would come to
Maybe you came with a family member, neighbor, or friend tonight, but have never considered this before. Maybe you've never realized that you are in need of a savior. Never realized that that baby born at Christmas, God in flesh, grew into a man and died for you, loves you, and has a very real plan and purpose for your life. You may be a believer here tonight, having surrendered your life to him, but have drifted or are questioning, where is God in your circumstance? Tonight, you need to be reminded that he is real. His sacrifice was real. His promises for you are real. Maybe you're a believer here tonight that simply needs to reflect on his goodness, his grace, the faithfulness he has shown in your life, the ways that he has made himself and continues to make himself real in your life. More than just a fabled birth, creator, savior come to earth to bear our hurt and sin and shame, secure our freedom when he came. So if we turn to walk away, hear him say, I am real. He's real in my life, and my prayer for you tonight is that he's real in your life as well.